Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. My pop came home one day and he's like, son, Damon, like I want you to see this. And he's calling me down and, and he has fair skin and his face was like red. You know, because he has freckles. And so I was like, I knew something was going on. I thought I was in trouble or something. You know, and I come down and I had to be a teenager at the time. I was like 13, 14. And he shows me this check and it has like five digits on it. And he's like beaming. And I think he might have had like a steak and, you know, a Glenn Levitt or something. Cause actually, it was probably Doris because Scotch was his thing. You know, and he was just beaming. And I didn't remember that memory until like, a few years ago when I was writing Bring Your Worth, where I was like, oh my God, like that's like me when um I did my startup Cuddler um shortly after you and I talked last. And I did the the I bootstrapped these two startups while I was a stay-at-home dad with my first child who's now about to turn eight. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Doing creative work can be kind of lonely, and that's why we built the Unmistakable Listener Tribe. The tribe is a community for professionals to connect and support each other. Everything is designed to help you grow your business and share what's working and what isn't. And that's true whether you're a business owner or an artist. You'll get access to feedback, live conversations with guests, and so much more. By joining the tribe, you become part of a community of creators who all support each other, and it's completely free. Hopefully, I'll see you there. Visit unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe to join. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash tribe. Damon, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Hey, thank you. It's good catching up with you. It's been a, a long time as we were talking about offline. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, you know, I interviewed you seven years ago, mm. uh, back before we were even called Unmistakable Creative. You know, we were Blogcast FM back then. Uh, you have a new book, uh, <clears throat> which we will actually get into. But before we do that, um, I want to start by asking, what did your parents do for work and how did that end up shaping and influencing the choices that you've made throughout your own life and career? Wow. And, and you've read my book, Build From Now. So, you know, the, I do talk about our lineage and our history and uh, what's in our DNA, as uh, yeah. Kendrick Lamar might say. Um, so I actually have three families. So 
I have my mother and my father, just like most people on earth. Uh, my mother actually um, worked within financial systems, particularly credit unions. And so she had a few different jobs in retail when I was much younger. In fact, I was so young, I can't remember it. And then she got established into financial institutions. Very, we, we would call her entrepreneur now. And so she would work within different organizations and say there was a particular need. So she might be come in and work at the, they call it the front line. So like a cashier. And then she'd be in charge of the cashiers. And then she realized that the cashiers have an issue with how things are being processed. So then she'd learn how to program and then move over to data processing. And then suddenly she's designing the training program that's going to help the cashiers shave off, say, a half an hour from their processing and allow more customers to come through. That's the course of her career. You can see how that was inspirational for me because <laughs> my background is journalism. And mm. I started as a journalist when I was very young, when I was in high school. And then after I was, became a journalist, and I became an editor. And then I started getting into magazines as opposed to newspapers. And I started writing books. And then I became a book publisher myself, did independent books, started to have bestsellers. You know, so that idea of you get into a system, you learn the system, you improve the system. Again, fun, funny, I'm talking to you, and that's a huge theme in Build From Now. And until you asked that, I didn't even think about that. So that's my mother. Mm -hmm. Huge imp inspiration to me even today. Maybe even more so today. Uh, my father actually is or was an independent cartoonist. And so, wow. yeah, exactly. It was back in the 70s. I'm in my 40s, so I was born in the mid-70s. So he's doing that back then. They were fairly young. They were college students. So that's what he was studying. And he ended up doing his thing, frankly, without us. So he actually ended up leaving our family right before my first birthday. So wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I talk about that in the book. So I you remember know. I was, that's why I started with that question. Cause that's Man. what I wanted to know more about. Ooh, yeah. So we, <laughs> you know, you're going to start charging me, you know, cause I uh, need a therapist for that, but, <laughs> but there, it made so much of an impression on me, which when he left, it wasn't until many years later, as I talk about in the book, he laughed because he didn't think he was ready to be a provider as a father. So he was going to leave and go to the proverbial gold rush. I'm originally from South Jersey, so it'll be going to Philadelphia or going to New York or going to DC, that big city, claiming his land, getting the bag, as they say nowadays, getting the money, and then coming back on the white horse and saying, mm -hmm. okay, mommy, son, you're provided for. Now I'm ready to do this. And of course, you make plans and God laughs. So he yeah. ended up leaving. About six months later, my mom met my stepfather. And it was a wrap. And wow. my stepfather actually began in financial services, but way more conservative. Some more traditional banking services, as opposed to my mom, who was more um, expansive or going for innovation my pop, as I call him, way more conservative, not in a bad way, just way more. When you think of traditional banker, he would more, he'd be closer to that. He got into mortgages. And then once he got into mortgages, he ended up connecting at that same time in the early 80s 
where mortgage discussions were really taking off at that period of time. So based on what he was doing, he ended up getting an opportunity to move to Ohio and start up something, a new bank, essentially, or a new mortgage program. So when I was like seven, around the age of, of my eldest son now, we all moved from South Jersey to middle of Ohio. He spun that up really quickly and had so much success that he ended up getting another opportunity, a better one in Lansing, Michigan. And so when I was around eight, moved to Lansing, Michigan, and I have my childhood there, went to school in Detroit, got my master's over in Chicago at Northwestern and on from there. And from my pop, what was interesting is that once we got to Lansing, he was working under the auspices of these big organizations. Some of them don't exist anymore. But again, if you guys know anything about banking, it was kind of in the heyday in the mid 80s. You know, you think about Wall Street and junk bonds and all that stuff. It was part of that wave. And when he was doing well at that, he left and got, and we would call it a startup now, end up joining two other folks who were doing a mortgage company. And I talk about that briefly in Build From Now, where the two, two fellows that he was working with, number one, they were a lot younger than him. So he had kind of a seasoning and he was probably a little bit younger than me now. So he's probably in like his late thirties or mid to late thirties. But for them who are in their 20s, I almost envision them like the Mark Zuckerbergs or other folks who were kind of that stereotype up in Silicon Valley that I would meet two decades later when I lived in SF. They're mm-hmm. part of that vibe, right? So very much the Gordon Gecko type of vibe, right? If you're familiar with Wall yeah, Street. Of course. But then, right? But then the second half of that, though, is that they were white and my mm-hmm. pop is black. And I talk about that briefly in Built From Now, where he realized that even though he was bringing that insight, and I'm seeing the pattern here, and you might be seeing it too, he understood the systems. And so when he left and worked with them to do their own thing, he was able to bring that knowledge with him. Unfortunately, he wasn't getting the piece that he actually should have been for his um, seasonedness, if that's the word, as well as for the insight he was bringing. So he left and he started his own, um, his own mortgage company and it was run all by African-Americans, men and wow. women. And he had his ups and downs. And I had, uh, and so that's what I grew up with. I think he started his mortgage company back in Michigan. I want to say I was like 11 or 12. So pr- probably about to go to high school around that period of time. Mm-hmm. And I talk about that in, um, Built from now is the the um, the follow up to my previous book, uh, Bring Your Worth, which came out like two years ago, February of uh, 2019, and I, I explain that in Bring Your Worth. I think I mentioned it very briefly in Built from Now, where my pop came home one day, and he's like, "Son, Damon, like I want you to see this," and he's calling me down, and and he has fair skin, and his face was like red. You know, because he has freckles. And so I was like, I knew something was going on. I thought I was in trouble or something. You know, I come down and I had to be a teenager at the time. I was like 13, 14. And he shows me this check and it has like five digits on it. And he's like beaming. And I think he might have had like a steak and, you know, a Glenn Levitt or something. Actually, it was probably Doris because Scotch was his thing. You know, and he was just beaming. And... I didn't remember that memory until like 
a few years ago when I was writing Bring Your Worth, where I was like, oh my God, like that's like me when um I did my startup Cuddler um shortly after you and I talked last. And I did the the I bootstrapped these two startups while I was a stay-at-home dad with my first child who's now about to turn eight. And it was I became a uh, a founder of So Quotable, my first app that got me to do my first TED talk. That TED talk and a couple of connections connected me to two other guys who are working on something called Cuddler, which connected people for hugs. Is like 2014, so it's the era of Tinder and Grinder and all that, <laughs> right? And so, right, a lot's happened, right? It's like a lot can happen in seven years, right? Yeah. And so, so yeah, so we end up all connecting. We bootstrap it because we don't know what the hell we're doing. VCs aren't trying to talk to us because, like, you want to do an app for hugs. Within that first week, uh, September of uh, 2014, Cuddler had 100,000 users, and we had 10,000 completed cuddles. And we're on the late-night talk shows and the morning shows. We're featured on, like, The Doctors. Shortly, you know, a little bit later that fall, we're on the cover of the New York Times. But most importantly, about three months later, on the cover of the Wall Street Journal, with those little lithograph things of two people cuddling and saying that we started the cuddle economy. All that's happening. And then we end up selling it shortly after uh, my son's second birthday. And when my, my next son, who's now four, was on his way. And we sold it for a profit. And if we didn't become multimillionaires or anything, but we sold it for a profit. And it wasn't until then that I realized that I was doing the exact same thing that my pop did, you know, 25 years before or whatever, when he was showing me this check. I was doing yeah. the same thing to my wife and, and to my kid and later on for, you know, for my next kid that came, where it's like, daddy created this out of scratch. He created out of nothing. So th- that's my lineage. That's why I talk about lineage so much in, in Build From Now and, and the predecessor, Bring Your Worth, where it's like, there's so many people who who aren't who want to disconnect from their family. But the thing is, is that even like I got lots of issues with my family, as you can probably imagine, but that's your first framework. And if you don't understand your first framework, then it's very much like Joseph Campbell. Like you're avoiding the cave. You're not answering the call. I had to go back. <laughs> Again, I was in my 40s when I remember these memories. I had to go back to retrieve those treasures with all the pain and the challenges with my three families. It's like, mm-hmm. but that beauty of that, like I didn't start doing startups for nothing. And and I talk about this in Build From Now in, that, in, in the first chapter about focus, where me doing my two startups I've done four TED Talks now and all that stuff while being the primary caretaker of my now two kids. It's almost like me trying to understand what my dad might have saw. Mm. And then moving forward from that and being like, oh, you can be a present father or be a present guardian or be a present husband or whatever the, whatever your moniker you want to hold on to. And you can make an impact on the world. I mean, that's literally, literally my, my first independent book that the one that became a bestseller, the, the Bites as Entrepreneur, that came out in 2016. The moniker was that the belief you have to sacrifice everything to make your entrepreneurial mark is a myth. And it wasn't until later, after it became a bestseller, after I did four more books, that I realized that I was actually connecting in some ways to my dad. Hmm. And so there's a level of healing that happens when you recognize where you're from. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And so, yeah, you kind of opened up a can of worms for me. Like, yeah, no, I mean, and, and, <laughs> yeah, as you as you might imagine, there there's going to be a lot more questions about this. I mean, this you already Please. gave me about a dozen questions. So, <laughs> numerous things come from this, um, you know, and these as I'm known to do three questions in one. Um, the first is, you know, having your biological dad leave, what impact has had, has that had on you as a father and how you're raising your own kids Two, I think it would be almost ignorant to not talk about race relations, uh, during the time that you grew up, particularly because, you know, you actually referenced it. And so I wonder, you know, as an African-American, what your parents taught you about race, what were your own experiences with, um, race growing up and also throughout your career? Yeah, so so let's do the first one because I think the first one's actually easier, believe it or not. Um I think my dad leaving or not being involved in our in our family, I should say it like that, because I'm still cool with him. He just it was just too much for him, I, I think just to be honest. And me realizing that the responsibilities that we have are based on the resources that we have. And often when we neglect our responsibilities or we shy away from them, it's often because we undervalue the resources that we currently have at the moment. I mean, this kind of circles back to build from now. I mean, literally the subtitle, how to know your power, see your abundance, nourish the world. Like, like that, that subtitle is like on purpose where it's like, you're not, you're not going to be able to handle everything, but you can handle some of everything. And there tends to be, when we get scared or when we feel overwhelmed, there tends to be fight, flight, or as they've added now, freeze. Or all three, which I've experienced all three. And so if I can help people understand the resources that they have that are in an abundance, then they can make an impact. You and I, like I think in our conversation seven, eight years ago, I think we talked about perfection. And I think mm-hmm. that kind of gets into this whole thing where it's like, I'm not going to, well, I'll give an example to be more direct with the question. 
I'm not going to be a parent until everything's perfect. Man, I've had two kids. I've been married for several years. Like, if I waited for everything to be perfect, then I wouldn't be married. <laughs> I probably wouldn't be in a relationship at all. I definitely wouldn't have any kids. And so you work with whatever you've got and trusting that you'll figure it out along the way and getting that support or creating that support around you. I don't think he had that. And so that overwhelmingness, as well as perhaps the level of perfection and idealism might be even, even a kinder word. I think that prevented him from being fully present. I know that that's something that he struggled with over the years. And I have sympathy mm. now. I was angry for a very long time, but I have sympathy yeah. now, particularly now that I'm a father. And again, I'm in my 40s, so my perspective is a little bit different. I get it. I'm Funny looking how- at more like lineage. And then yeah. that's why I talk about in Build From Now, where those scars, those challenges, which I'm, number one, the fact that I can talk to you and thousands of strangers about it, like, like that's reflective of my healing, where I wouldn't be able to talk about that before with that level of honesty. But in looking at those scars and those challenges, I also understand where my strengths come from. And I was just literally yeah. just talking to my son about it yesterday where, you know, seven-year-olds are just, they ask these amazing questions. And as a journalist, <laughs> you, you know, it's like, it's like, where'd that come from? And he was like, dad, like, can you, um, you, he was like, I have a serious question. So he got real serious. I'm like, okay. And he said, how do you erase bad memories? <laughs> you know, of course, I'm thinking about Internal Sunshine, which is one of my favorite movies yeah, and all that stuff. That's hilarious. And, I right? was thinking of the exact. I, funny enough, I've never seen it, but I, I, that was about oh, the first thing that oh, came to mind. Uh, Sharina, you, you, you'd love it. Like it's, okay. and, and I love, um, I forget the director's name. Um, it's a French name, but I, I, love, I love his work. Anyway, but I think you'd really appreciate it. It's worth doing that this weekend. But what I explained to him, which is actually the, the premise of the movie, I'm not spoiling anything for you. It's just the setup is that, you can't have, number one, there's no good or bad memories. They're just memories. They are what they are. If you take a page out of stoicism, it's just, that's what happened, right? So that's number one. But then number two, if you erase the bad memories, and you're also erasing the good memories too. And okay. so if I were to say, you know, me and my pop, my stepfather, have always had a complicated relationship, so I'm not going to think about him anymore. But then I can still remember the look on his face when he really earned income as, as an independent. I can remember that. That was like, now it's like 30 years ago. So if I erase the so-called bad memories of us having conflicts and challenges when I was growing up, then I also erase that moment. And I'm drawing back on that moment again, when I sold Cuddler, you know, five, six years ago, that was a direct lineage to that. So if I deny that, then I'm denying myself. Mm. And, you can't have one without the other, you know? Yeah. So, so I think that's part of it to get to the second, second question of yours. And as you know, that's, that's part of the intro to, to, to build from now where there's apps with 2020 and last year, there was absolutely nothing new about it. Like nothing. Yeah. And I say this as an African-American man, like there was nothing new about it. When, the trifecta of African-Americans were killed, I think, within like a two-week two week period of time, starting or most prominently with Breonna Taylor. I had a conversation with my eldest, as much as I could with my youngest, because he's four, so that processing yeah. isn't quite there yet, but w- w- with my eldest and sat him down and said, okay, you know, he loves police officers, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, well, 
You know how there's certain teachers that you feel like don't like you or don't have your best interests in mind? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, well, police officers are people too. And so are firemen and women. Um, so are so-called authorities. So are presidents. Like all these people are fallible. All these people are human. So a badge or a, a certification or sitting at a special table or whatever, you know, because he could relate to that with the kids' table and the adults' table, that doesn't change anything. You're, you're equal. You have value. Just understand that other people might not realize that. So it's your job to, to recognize that. That's your job. That's the conversation that my pop had with me around that same age. Yeah. So, I mean, I wish, I wish it was like, oh my gosh, 2020 was an awful year. As a person of color, particularly African-American male, you know, I, I said this in my TED talk based on Build From Now that I did uh, September of last year in, in 2020. I was like, if you're used to having a target on your back, then it might be harder to use your resources. And that was the information that was passed on to me. Um, a little bit less so from my dad because he wasn't there as much, but definitely from my pop, my stepfather. And that was information yeah. that was passed on to him <laughs> from his father. And luckily I got a chance to to know um, my my granddad, his dad, really, really well. And I actually, I love him and I miss him. But he was wow. he was feeding me that information. We call it game. He was passing along that game. So, I, I mean, again, I think a lot goes back to lineage. And I talk about this a bit in Build From Now. I talk about it quite a bit more in, in the predecessor, Bring Your Worth, where, you know, and you understand this, Srini, where when you're creating something, you want to be the one of one. <laughs> you want, like, the mold to be broken. It's like, yes, I'm breaking generational curses. I am out there. I am, I know you're into surfing. It's like, I'm way out there. I am on my own. I'm a leader. I am a iconoclast, etc. But then I think as you mature or as you have more experiences or as you're more honest with yourself, you realize there were breadcrumbs. There were breadcrumbs. Like, it's not saying that you know, other people in my family have done startups from scratch. That hasn't really happened. I'm the first of that. But I have entrepreneurs all through my family, all, all three branches have entrepreneurs. They just didn't call themselves entrepreneurs. They were doing side hustles before side hustles existed. That word wasn't in the vocabulary. Entrepreneur wasn't in the vocabulary until, as you know, Srini, like 10, 15 years ago. Then we started throwing it around and then there's a magazine called that. You know, if I came out with a book that by says entrepreneur 20 years ago, people wouldn't even know what it was. And so my family and people around me, people, even the ad hoc family, you know, my aunties, my uncles, all these other people who, who, um, who helped raise me, they were doing this amazing stuff before me. And so it's almost like you have to humble the ego to really get the treasure. Because now I can think about my late grandfather. Now I can think about my two fathers. Now I can think about my uncle, my mom's sister or mom's brother. And, you know, I, I can think about them and be like, oh yeah, they talked about that when I was like 15. But if you don't pay homage to that, then you're not going to access that treasure. And that's what I'm really trying to get with, with Build From Now, where it's like, you got the resources you need. Like you, you don't need anything more. You, you don't need to be fixed. You don't need to you know, go, go speak to a guru, not even me. You don't even talk to me. 
Like I have a coaching practice. Like it behooves me for people to come talk to me. Well, you don't even have to do that. Like get this book or take the, as I talked about earlier, the quiz built from now quiz.com. Come take the quiz, free quiz, come take it. But, but you have to gather yourself together, particularly after last year. And I'm being curt as far as saying 2020 wasn't, wasn't extraordinarily difficult or wasn't anything new. I think what was new is that the experience that I have and perhaps experience that you had, Trini, it's being exposed to everyone now. Yeah. And now that it's in the light, we got to do something about it. And I think that's the only difference with last year. Like, well, I, I you know? appreciate this so much. I mean, so, you know, it's funny because we, we did an episode uh, called What It Means to Be Black in America. I'll, mm-hmm. I'll have to send it to you. Um, where we've done clips from Trevor Noah and, and some of our, our past guests. And I remember Sean Dove, who's the founder of the Campaign for Black Male Achievement. Um, what he told me when I asked him about this is that he said, you know, like he grew up, you know, in Harlem watching riots and things like that. And he said, you know, the conclusion he came to was that he probably would not see racism end in his lifetime. And I wonder, you know, you, know, you just mentioned that, uh, you know, part of it is that now we sort of have a much you know higher awareness of this issue uh, because of the fact that you know media is giving a lot of press that it didn't get before you're a journalist what do you think is the responsibility of media creators when it it comes to this ooh that's a tough question um i think the number one responsibility is to think about who you're giving the mega horn to. So I, I, th- I think that's one because man, I have two degrees in journalism. So <laughs> like, that could be a two hour answer. Yeah. I, th- I think I'd summarize it in this and I've, I've done keynotes about it where our role as a journalist, as journalists has changed. It's not like we have to have an opinion and that's a whole different discussion but we, we can get into, but that we can't just print whatever we hear. And there's a level of trust and naivete that back when I was getting my degrees in the late nineties, early two thousands, that we were taught. I think the first thing we were taught is that everyone's going to tell the truth. <laughs> Obviously that didn't, it's still not working out. I, I think people are still adhering to that. It's come on, you know, like I, I think our, our saying, it was a few sayings like this, but it was like, we'd say in the newsroom, you know, if your mom says she loves you, then check out another source to make sure it's true. You know, and we, we say that. Oh, I got a dozen of them. I, you know, I, I was in the Chicago newsroom, so we can get oh, yeah. colorful if you want, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Like, that's one of them. <laughs> Another one's about peeing and raining. So, but, <laughs> but, but we were, we were told that, but I don't know how much we've practiced that. Cause I think it's, it's back to the philosophical thing. It's like, why would someone lie? I think we're kind of just still stuck on that. Why would someone lie to the press? Why would someone lie to the press? And so I think what we need to do is is go through a sort of filtering process. So I think one, the filtering process and make sure things are verified as much as possible. If there's skepticism, don't be afraid to show that. 
And for some reason, there's a fear of that. So that's number one. I'd say number two is to actually think about who's represented. And it's kind of reminds me, I want to say Dave Chappelle, because I watched a lot mm. of comedy during that period of time of his, his reign. But I want to say it's the Dave Chappelle show where there's the, the anchor that's coming out, um, news anchor that's coming out for um, a man on the scene you know, as they call it, where, or man on the man on the street, where it's a random person that you talk to to get their take on what's mm-hmm. happening at that moment, yeah, right? I remember. Right? Totally. And it's like, and it's this crowd of like, you know, Howard or Graham State or some kind of major HBCU, you know, historically black college or university, the group of like students or whatever that are like there and they go across the street to, looks like a drunk homeless person, you know, that's sitting there and they ask their opinion. And, and so that's, I always think about that skit, particularly when I was a full-time journalist where it's like, all right, am I trying to add color to this story? Who was being represented here? And that discussion really blossomed last year. In fact, I'm getting chills because that's so much of a discussion point. I have a lot of um, um, female and women of color, people that I coach. There's quite a few that I mentor and so, or I'm being mentored by, so kind of both ways. And I've heard so much from them. I love being plugged into that on how I can support them and hearing the conversation change where you have what are called manals, which are all male panels <laughs> that are happening. <laughs> and it's like, I think it was like a major, major discussion about birth control like a year ago, right before the pandemic hit. And <laughs> everyone on there was like an old white male. So not only, <laughs> not only is it going to be less sexual activity, I'm going to be blunt about it because they're like 70, but they're also mm-hmm. straight, likely straight white males. It's like, okay, so how are you going to understand, you know, someone like my mother, who's a woman of color? Like, how are you going to understand that? And how are you going to talk about women at all? You know, when you probably don't have their reproductive system, assuming that you're not trans, like there's certain details like that, that are coming up to the surface that myself as African-American, my wife, who's actually Indian, so she's a woman of color. Like in these different, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh no, no kidding. Okay. Yeah, my, my wife is Hindi. Yeah, she's from Gujarat. Oh, oh, we're we're at the, that that basically opened up another can of worms. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, we watched the show, right? <laughs> so yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> it was. Required. I don't want to talk about that. Oh, I know. I you definitely don't, don't want to talk about but that. But I figured um, I just I throw out the credit. elephant in the room. <laughs> yeah. But for we'll sure, we'll talk like, about that off 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 air. <laughs> oh, absolutely, absolutely. But we were rooting for you too, because I was like, I was like, oh, my buddy's on the show. Like, like let's. We don't have a lot of time to watch TV, but we will watch my man. Um, but but her perspective, my perspective, the perspective of the, of the people that I coach, the people that are coaching me, we've had those perspectives for forever, forever, forever. You know, my wife is a zero, um, zero generation. So she was born over in India. She came over when she was, she came over, it was kind of like me going from New Jersey to the Midwest. So she came over when she was like five or six or something. So just like, like how I'm talking fast right now, this is my South Jersey accent, even though I was raised in the Midwest. So those roots are really deep for her too. And so there's so many experiences that are in our DNA, even before we have cognitive memories. There's stuff that happened to her and stuff that happened to me that I don't have a conscious memory of, but I know it had some type of mark. Things that we were taught generationally, you know, me being from an African-American family in Jersey, her being, you know, from an Indian family from Gujarat, like, like that's in our DNA. 
And so all the stuff that happened in 2020, we're like, yeah, we know. <laughs> so now it's a matter of the other people knowing. Um, I'll give one, one quick analogy, which I've been thinking about a lot, is that when politicians, um, and I think this is based on a true story, but I've heard this story so many times, when politicians will come, particularly white politicians, will come to the African-American church, you know, the, um, you know, the Baptist churches and some of the churches that I was in and out of when I was younger, they'll come and they'll say, you know what, we need to have unity and we need to fight out racism and so forth. And everybody cheers. And then you have this moment where you realize they don't need to come to the Pentecostal church. They don't need to come to the Baptist church. They need to go to the Catholic church. You know, they need to go to the Greek Orthodox church. They need to go to the synagogues. They need to go to the mosques. They need to go to the other areas where the people who might be in charge of the system or the people that might have the most issues with African-American people, they can actually hear that message. And that's what I'm trying mm-hmm. to do with Build From Now, like an excerpt of, the, of, um, excerpt of my very first chapter, which, as you know, is really intense. It, it ran in Inc. Magazine a couple weeks ago. And I was so proud to do that because there's um, um, women of color, there's um, African-American focused publications that I have excerpts running in. But that chapter, it's going in ink. Because like this discussion needs to be with, you know, not there. There's so many. So there's so many uh, targets now, but it needs to be in front of the Jeff Bezos's and the Elon Musk and the Mark Zuckerberg's. Like I'm privileged enough and I worked hard for it, but I'm also privileged yeah. enough to have this big platform. So I'm like, here you go. You know, you're trying to fix things and make things better. Well, here's my perspective. And I, and I'm trying to use my personal megaphone to talk about this in, these inequities that have been happening forever. Definitely in my lifetime. I know in my parents' lifetime when they're alive, I know it was my grandparents' lifetime. It was even worse for them. Those things are still happening. And this generational yeah. trauma and the challenges with the systems, there's nothing new about that. And that's what I'm trying to announce with this book, you know? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com slash Wondersuite. Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? They believe, and I do too, that you can transform the way you age cell by cell with the power of cellular nutrition. As we age, our cellular function declines. Your regular multivitamins and minerals might not be enough to combat these age-related declines, and that's where Solgar Cellular Nutrition comes in. It's formulated with targeted cellular nutrients that work with your body's natural processes deep inside your cells to help you fight cellular decline and promote cell health across three benefit areas. It supports cell energy, repair, and vitality, muscle strength, and even glutathione production to help protect cells. So let's own our healthy aging narrative. 
Visit CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Again, that's CellularNutrition.Solgar.com to learn more. Solgar Cellular Nutrition. We go cell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, I mean, I, I remember um, even you, – I'm sure you read it as Isabel Wilkerson's book, Cast, in which she yeah. talked about how you know all of the policies that were basically designed to move the middle class forward excluded African-Americans. And she's, you, know, you're, you look at that and you're like, that was from 80 years ago. And you think the consequences of that have rippled. Um, so, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about race and I, I, I realize I'm not giving you nearly enough of a chance to talk about some of the concepts in the book, but I do want to ask um, about the fact that you're married to an Indian woman, because I think there's something very important here. Um, <clears throat> there are two questions that come from that for me. Um, the first is when you, uh, you know, particularly like you, you, you marry outside of your race. Um, I always joke that the ultimate litmus test of my Indian parents' racism is to bring home a black girl or a Muslim girl, uh, because I think those would be the. <laughs> I'm, assume, I'm, assume, I'm assuming your family's Hindi, right? So yeah, they <laughs> okay, are. So it. like the, but, but here's the thing, right? It's my parents are not racist by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm pretty damn sure that would be the one sort of oh it. I mean, you know, at a certain point, they'd be like, all right, we'll welcome this person with open arms. But I know Indians. They're, you know, no offense to my own kind, but they're very judgmental people, um, as you learn from watching Indian matchmaking. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying anything now, right now. <laughs> but the thing is that to me, like that always was of all, like I said, of any race I could bring home, you know, bringing home an African-American girl would be the one that I feel would be the ultimate test. So what was that experience like for you and your wife? And then the second question uh, on top of that is, how do you guys integrate aspects of each other's cultures into the way that you're raising your kids without losing lineage and heritage, particularly because I'm guessing you don't speak Gujarati? A little bit. I just okay. very, very little. Yeah. Um, enough to talk to the, to the boss or the, the grandparents. Um, yeah. But to answer your first question, it was, it was, it was quite a process. And again, you know, they're immigrants. And so by the time my wife and I, my wife and I have been together for a very long time. She was, she's actually a doctor. So she was going through med school. I just finished grad school. So you can kind of do the math on that. So we've been together for a long time. And I think part of the thing, whew, yeah. Again, we've been here a long time. Lots of ups and downs, particularly in regards to family. With African-American families, I think it's a little bit different because we kind of come in different skin tones and our lineage tends to be a little bit mixed up anyway. So in the family I have right now, there are Puerto Ricans, there's Hondurians. Um, I'm sure there's other cultures that I'm forgetting about. And that was, I think all that was before around the time my wife and I met. Number two, I think it was a little bit easier on my side because I've always connected with people of different cultures or of my culture. And so having discussions like we're having right now, the ability to have openness and the, um, to talk about a good book and all these other things. I'm really into food. I'm really into travel. I know it sounds like a dating site now, but those things transcend culture to me and they have to do more with mindset. So I've dated 
plenty of African-American women, but I've also dated a lot of other people who were <laughs> like culturally so different than me, but we had that connected mindset. For her family, it was a little bit more challenging because aside from one outlier, there was no other people who were not Indian. And one of the frank discussions that I had with a family member, I'll keep it anonymous, <laughs> frank discussion I had with a family member when um, I, I think one of the most difficult things for, for me was being from South Jersey and particularly my mom's side of the family, which I'm closest to, we tend to be extremely direct. And with my in-laws and I found in general with Hindi culture, they tend to think about protocol and saying things in a certain way. So that was probably the biggest clash. And so there were a lot of opinions and assumptions that I didn't know about because people weren't being direct with me. I realized that was out of respect. But again, the East Coast energy is like, well, if we have an issue, then how are we going to clear it up unless we talk about it? So one of the times I was having a very frank conversation with with um, a relative and basically it came down to them being afraid that their culture would disappear. And so, in other words, if my wife and I got together, then suddenly the culture would evaporate. When we had our wedding, so it turned out okay, right? <laughs> so we had our wedding a few a few years later, or whatever. That sounds like a really interesting wedding, like you know, a black and Indian wedding. I think I would want to be at that wedding. That sounds like it would be a riot. <laughs> they are still talking about it, and I don't mean that from an ego standpoint. I mean that from like we 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 accomplished what we wanted to. So so I came in on a horse. <laughs> and then we, and then we had the bangra music, you know, the traditional drums. If y'all don't know yep. what bangra is, just look up Indian drums on YouTube, and you'll hear the bangra beat. You know what the bangra beat is, right? Yeah, of course. So, right? Um, my my mom and everybody on my side, all the women were in their saris. You know, the the guys were dressed in suits, or you know, um, I always forget the name of the the male the male version of the sari it's with the cur- baggy uh, pants. Kurta. Thank you, the Cortes. Cortes. Oh, I always the name of that. Thank you, the Cortes. You know, of course, I was decked out in that in red and white. And then, you know, we did it at sunrise because that's when the astrologist over in India said it was the best time. So we did like six thirty mm-hmm. in the morning, you know, in July. Wow. You know, and all that thing, and 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 everything was that. But then, my best friend is a Buddhist monk, and I meditate every day. So he came in and did his his vows. Because I didn't know that part. So, so he did that, that part. But then most importantly, as I've said a couple of times to other people, we're a very food forward family. So half of it was the sag paneer. Um, I think we had chicken tikka masala, <laughs> even though they're vegetarian. We had chicken tikka masala. We had samosas, of course. My mother-in-law's an incredibly good cook. And I say that ob- objectively. And so, yeah. you know, all, the catering was... Moms- all Indian mothers are the best cooks in the world. Is that true? <laughs> I don't know. I yes, only have one. So. <laughs> yeah, no, they're they're all of them. It's I've very heard rare. a bunch of aunties. I, all of them can yeah. like, as as we say in Jersey, they really put their foot in it. Like it's just yeah. And I and well, no, I, I mean, food <laughs> is the glue that holds Indians together. It's their eating is their primary recreational activity, isn't it? Though, and you can tell. Oh man, and that yeah. and and both my wife and I love spice, which is like a big bonding point for us. And so half the half the catering or whatever was that 
the other half, we were in Southern California at the time. Uh, her and I went together and I also took my dad, who of course I reunited with, and we went all around LA and found the best Southern catering because my great grandmother was actually in New Orleans. So I like extremely hot spice. Like when my wife and I first started dating and we got serious, I would make eggs every morning with habaneros in it. And that would be like our normal. So we have like a really high spice tolerance level. Hers is a little bit higher than mine. And so it's like, it has to be that intensity, that flavor. That again comes from my DNA. And I didn't know my great grandmother was from there until probably like 10 years ago, right before my grandfather passed away. And so that's what I mean by lineage where I have a really high spice tolerance level, but no one else in my, in my family has that. But it came from my great-grandmother who was in New Orleans. And so we went all around LA and we found a really good Creole and Cajun cook. So we had it catered with the, the beignets and the crawfish etouffee and all that stuff. And that was the other half of the buffet. That's how we handled Soul food it. and Indian food together. Right. That sounds amazing. So it it was great. It. Everybody was happy. Everybody was happy. Uh, yeah. And then the people that people that di- that weren't that weren't vegetarians, or they could, or the people that were vegetarians could have have a beignet and all that stuff. So they knew exactly what my culture was about. And of mm. course, the reverse, where my family's coming from Jersey, some of them haven't had Indian food before, and they're like, "Oh my God, what is this?" And then I'm able to explain it to them. That carried on, and that ended up being the watermark or the standard for our family. That's why it was so important that we get it right. So then in our household right now, I know a tiny bit of Japanese. I know some Gujarat or Gujarati. And then obviously my wife knows Gujarati. um, And then she also knows Spanish. My mom's really into Italy, so she knows some Italian. She's passed that on. So at this point, we have like five different languages that are going on. So my sons call bears kumas because that's Japanese for bear. But then we also say pani, which means water in Gujarat or in Gujarati. Like, like, so it's all blended together. And it's been interesting with 2020, where we've been talking a lot more about the African-American side. Because African-Americans, aside from colloquialism and other things, we don't really have a language. And so it's interesting talking to you about it. I haven't really thought about this, where last year, as a family, the African-American side really came out because, frankly, you know, my two kids were on the endangered species list. Suddenly, they're like, wanted. You know, and suddenly people just like my kids, just like me, are being killed all across the country. There was, I mean, last summer, there was like, it was like a spate of hangings of African-American men. Like, I didn't forget that. That was somewhere between the murder hornets, <laughs> you know, and the second wave of the pandemic. But that happened all across Southern California. And I think Central California, too. You can look it up. So then suddenly our African-American side became a bigger part of the discussion. And there were a lot of conversations that I had with both of my kids and even with my wife, because she knew that there were things that were happening that only I understood. And so we've been working on having an equitable household, but it's interesting how that outside culture part, which ties into your previous question, the outside culture part plays a part in it too, where it's like, okay, there are certain moments, you know, like when um, the coronavirus was, was really hitting bad in India, you know, and we have relatives over there, obviously. So, so suddenly we're talking more 
more about the issues over there. The political issues that have been happening in India, which happened a couple of years ago before the pandemic hit. Like, like, so I think there's levels of prominence where certain cultures rise higher in our household. But overall, I think we've done a good job as far as having them be aware of all the different pieces. And like I talk about in Build From Now, as I talk about in Bring Your Worth, and as we've talked about over the past 45 minutes or so, like, like it's up to them to recognize those breadcrumbs. I'm not going to force them and be like, you are African-American, you are this, you remember this every single day. I'm, I don't think that technique's going to work with my kids. They're too headstrong, like my, my wife and I. Instead, it's going to be like, let's, let's, let's make these discussions be so normal that you don't have to go to extraordinary lengths to be proud of who you are. That's the goal. Mm. You know? Wow. <clears throat> Amazing. Um, well, it's funny because we've been talking for almost an hour and I don't think we've even touched a good amount of the subject <laughs> matter of the book, but I think that, you know, part of that was probably by design because I think that there are a lot of valuable lessons in, in what you've shared here and somehow you've managed to tie them into the book. But I do want to ask you about something that you said at the beginning of our conversation. And it was about this idea that you have all of the resources that you need. Um, I think it would be an understatement to say that you and I both come from relatively privileged circumstances. I mean, you went to the Northwestern School of Journalism. I went to Berkeley, uh, you know, and the thing yeah. that you also mentioned was this idea of not having to sacrifice everything to build this entrepreneurial dream of yours. Now, obviously, I think the there are extremes to this, right? Because I've had Justine Musk, Elon's wife, ex-wife here as, as mm -hmm. a guest. And when you talk about people like Elon, she said what most people don't see is that that level of accomplishment comes almost at the cost of everything else in your life. It's just not possible to build on that scale. And she's like, and it's not for everybody. And you know, it also is not some sort of guarantee of happiness. Like it's straight up obsession that drives these people. And you know, I think that so much of this book is, is you know, about using the resources that you have. But with that in mind, when you think about, you know, the fact that both of us come from privileged circumstances and there are people who are suffering just to put food on the table. Do you really think I mean, th that's one thing I always say is like my work and my message is actually largely for people of privilege. And it's only in the last two to three years that I've recognized that. Yeah, I, I, I love your question. And this dovetails really nicely into why I wrote Built From Now, because the Bites Entrepreneur came out and it was very service oriented, very tactical, where it's like, I want to be more productive. There's a two page chapter, literally two page chapter about being more productive. Cool. And then I started getting on the road. Like I said, it did really well. So I started getting on the road. I started getting speaking engagements and I was talking to people and they grabbed the book and they'd say, I love your keynote. I just have a question. When can I start my business? And I'd be like, what do you mean when you can start your business? You could have started it already. And so people were waiting for permission. And again, because, because it became a bestseller, because I was becoming more prominent, they suddenly started asking me for permission, which is why I wrote Bring Your Worth. And it has, Bring Your Worth has three tenets. Um, number one, everything is a partnership, no matter what the financial dynamics are, because if they didn't need you, they wouldn't hire you, right? So everything's a partnership. Number two, do not wait for permission. Even if Oprah blesses your product, there's no guarantee that you'll become a millionaire. So don't wait for that. Get started, right? And then number three is everyone and everything has a legacy, which we talked about at the top of the program. And, and it being most of this okay. program, I think, is talking about that. When I started writing Build From Now, which was about a year ago, 
I realized that I hadn't talked about everything else. You can have the tactics to do everything. And you can have the right spirit about it, knowing your intention, as what's his name? Simon Sinek would say, you know, start with why, knowing your why. But then, but then what if you get shot while you're sleeping in bed? What if someone won't hire you because they don't like who you are, who they think you are? What if you don't have the financial resources to move forward because of some systemic issues? And so that's why Build From Now is split into two halves. The first half is called an outside job. The second half is called an inside job. So the first half is outside job and it talks about all the challenges that we have. Nothing written in the book is something that we don't already know. <laughs> but I hadn't acknowledged that. And we talked about this briefly online. That's one of the challenges that I have with a lot of the business books, self-help books, whatever term you want to use in that yeah. same space that I'm in, is that the assumption is that, number one, you need to be fixed. So you need to un-F yourself, right? Yep. You need to do this. You need to show up this way. You're not showing up. That's why it's not working for you. If you really wanted it, you would have got it already, right? So that's number one. <laughs> or it's in this camp where it says, you just need to show up and everything will be okay. You don't have to worry about the systemic things. But most of these books, with respect to them, I'm friends with some of them, are written by straight white males. Mm -hmm. So they can say that. They can say that. They're, people aren't giving them the side eye when they're doing a certain thing. People aren't following them in department stores back when we were out shopping. People aren't following them in department stores thinking they might steal something. They aren't being questioned about their value even though their company has, you know, has a quarter million users, as was the case with Cuddler. Like, they aren't getting questioned like that. And those, those things take resources. They take energy. Hence, build from now being based on these four resources that we all have, focus, agility, time, and energy. I call them the fates. So focus, agility, time, and energy. And I break that down, as I talked about in the buildfromnowquiz.com, where people can take the free quiz about it. But I really get into that in the book. And what I'm saying is that we all have these four resources, no matter where you are in the social strata, no matter how you identify, no matter what you're struggling with. If you're alive, you have these four resources. The problem that we have is that we're not acknowledging the systemic issues that we have on the outside. And then we're not recognizing which, which particular resource or strength we have right now. Mine right now happens to be focus. And so I got two little kids at home. They're probably going to jump in on this interview at any moment now. I keep looking at the door. And so it's like, the, so I don't have a whole lot of time, which is the T in fate. I'm approaching middle age. And again, I got two little kids. We've been sheltering in place almost a year here in Las Vegas every single day. So I don't have a whole lot of energy, but I am ridiculously focused. So that enabled me to do their virtual schooling, keep them safe. Make sure, um, again, my wife's a doctor, so make sure she's safe on the front lines, make sure the home is provided for, do my coaching practice, and write this book. That's because I utilize my focus. I don't do all-nighters because I don't have the energy. I don't write for long periods of time because I don't have the time. And so if you know what your resource is, then you can thrive in any environment. Um, I'm trying to help people understand that in their own strengths, but I'm also trying to be a proof of concept where me writing a book and doing all the things that I did, I did a record number of keynotes last year, obviously sheltering in place, doing all those things happened because I knew what my strength was. And so not only do I want to help people with the tools to get it, starting with the Bill From Now quiz and, and the book, 
But I also want to be a proof of concept where it's, I'm not just puffing smoke. And I'd say that would be the second criticism that I have with some of the other business books that I grew up with that I had when I was entrepreneur, where there were a lot of people that are prescribing things, but then didn't actually do that, that practice. That's one of the reasons why I love being on your show is that, you know, I've read from your books and, and me knowing you, I know you've been on this journey before and I'm trying to provide that for, for my community not just saying, here's a book that's going to prescribe a bunch of stuff to you, do this and you'll be famous or rich or whatever, whatever metric that is, but to actually say, no, really, like <laughs> you even having the book in your hands is proof of concept that you can accomplish things. And it might be that there's certain privileges that you have and there's other privileges that you don't. And I know from your backstory and obviously, you know, mine from my books, we might have been privileged enough to get to Northwestern or to Berkeley but it doesn't mean that we had all these other privileges that other people might have. And you might call them a privilege, you might call them a resource, but we all have those things. And so I'm trying to marshal people together and say, okay, you, you got this. And even if you have to make incremental steps, hence the bite-sized entrepreneur, even if you have to make incremental steps, that's okay. Like, again, I, I did my two startups while I was a primary caretaker of my first baby. I didn't know what the hell I was doing with either one. But taking it day by day and maximizing the resources that I had, I was able to get it done. And so really looking at the resources that you have, not overlooking your abundance and worrying less about the privilege other people have, because all of us have some type of privilege. Some people have the privilege of not having kids right now. And so they're able to just work. I don't know what that privilege is, right? You know, some people are very sick right now. I have that privilege of being very healthy and so does my family. You know, so we all have our resources and with Built From Now, I really want people to recognize what their resources are and to maximize them. And I think that's the only way we're going to change the world. Things are so malleable right now. I want us to take advantage of that. If we want the world to be different, then stop complaining about it. Let's create new systems. Let's revitalize systems that we got. Let's upgrade from the, from the view that we're at. I happen to be strong at communications. So um, I, I think I mentioned earlier, I have a YouTube channel now at youtube.com slash Brown Damon. I'm building my YouTube channel where I'm on there three times a week doing a little video episode that people can subscribe to. You know, I'm talking with you. I got my new book out. I'm doing other things. I'm doing and building from now based on my resources. You don't see me necessarily picketing in the streets, which I actually have written essays about. And I felt a sense of guilt because I wasn't on the front lines. But I got two little kids I have to raise, two little black and brown boys. And I have books to write. I mean, I'm an ink columnist and I'm a TED speaker. It would be a shame if I didn't take advantage of those platforms. And my ability to impact people with my words and my actions is way higher than me being out on the street and picketing down on the Las Vegas Strip. It took me a while to recognize that, but I didn't know where I, where I belonged, where my resources should be, and where my strengths lied the most. And I'm trying to get people into that mindset with Build From Now. So that's my, mm. that's my very, very humble intention. I appreciate this so much. I mean, the fact that you took context into consideration when you shared this message um, really is so, it, it hits a hot button for me because I've been writing a lot about this and this new book that I'm going to be self-publishing. And, and it really is one of those things where I just, that was my biggest criticism of pretty much all self-help the same way that you had is that most of it overlooks context. Hmm. 
Yes. Wow. Well, I think that makes a really uh, fitting end to our conversation. It's amazing. You managed to sum up, you know, the six chapters in two minutes somehow and did it beautifully. Um, so I want to finish with my final question, which is how we finish all of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Yeah, I knew this question was coming and you still so got me stumped. <laughs> Probably because I, I had a couple ideas in mind and now they, they don't seem to fit. Um, I think what makes people unmistakable is showing up. And I'm going to, I'm going to crib something from Seth Godin, who I'm a huge fan of, as you know. And he said, we worry too much about authenticity and, and, and too little about consistency and showing up matters. What's unmistakable is you being there for the people that you serve consistently. I have a newsletter just like you do. I have a newsletter at joindamon.me and it arrives every Wednesday at 5.55 a.m. based on whatever time zone I happen to be in. I've been doing it every Wednesday for going on five years. I have books coming out and people know that when my new book comes out, it's going to be the next thing that my audience needs. Bring Your Worth wasn't a bestseller. But I have people coming to me now, two years later, saying that they just discovered the book and it was exactly what they needed. That to me is consistency. It's not trying to get on a bestsellers list again. It's not trying to have another blockbuster app. It's not having um, immediate response to the newsletters you send out every single week. Being unmistakable is always being there, being consistent with your message. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? Who are you serving? That's unmistakable to me. And the people that I admire, the people that I respect, including you, they keep showing up. Whether it's hits or not hits, whether it's a blockbuster or not a blockbuster, whether it's to, you know, like a book signing, whether it's you're doing the book signing for one person or to 1,000, it doesn't matter. When you treat people a certain way, it's not reflective of how you feel about them, but how you feel about yourself. And I think being unmistakable is showing up consistently and saying, this is who I am. Consistency also can't be faked. You can't say I'm doing this for the audience and then show up twice. And when no one responds the way that you want it to, then just quit. That's not unmistakable. You can't fake consistency. That to me is a real authenticity. Not, you know, I'm going to show up and I'm going to be honest about everything. It's like, no, no, you can do that once. But can you do that over the course of years? Can you do that for the rest of your life? That's, that's the play field, playing field I'm trying to play on. I don't know if I'll make it, <laughs> but that's the intention. And it's like, okay, and I'm glad people are feeling me. But my main thing is showing up regularly. And if I can do that, everything else will take care of itself. Incredible. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story and your insights with uh, our listeners. Um, this has been really, really thought-provoking and eye-opening. Uh, where can people find out more about you, your work, uh, the book, and everything that you're up to? Sure. So three main things. So number one, the hot thing I'm working on right now is my new YouTube channel. So that's youtube.com slash Brown Damon. You can subscribe over there every, at this point, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 1130 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I have a new episode coming out. The Wednesdays right now are live, so you can do comments and questions, connect with me. But it's really similar to the discussion that we just had. And, uh, of course, I'm talking about the book. You can come over to buildfromnowquiz.com, buildfromnowquiz.com. That's actually a free quiz that I set up. 
Hundreds of folks have taken it already. And it's a simple multiple choice quiz that'll show you which resource is the biggest of yours at this moment. Focus, agility, time, or energy. Like I said, they're called the fates. And once you know that, then you know what you're working with. As I've said a lot recently, the psychological um, cliche is saying that if you have a hammer, then every problem is a nail. And I'd push it further to say, what happens if you don't even know you have a hammer? You could have like a banana. <laughs> and that changes your strategy. The BillFromNowQuiz.com, BillFromNowQuiz.com will really help you know what kind of hammer you got. And I would implore y'all to, to come through and, 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 and learn your biggest resource. Lastly, if you want to learn more about me, my coaching practice, check out my books. I'm an independent publisher. So yeah, you can come get your books directly from me, get signed copies. I also have merch over there, including mugs and t-shirts because I love merch. A lot of people seem to lurk, like merch too. You can come over to DamonBrown.net. That's DamonBrown.net. That's the headquarters. A lot of my keynotes and my talks are over there. Like I said, I've done several TED Talks and also keynotes. I'm all about giving the information away because if your stuff is infinite, then you have nothing to hide. So if you want to watch my keynotes that I've been paid really good money for, you can watch them for free at youtube.com slash Damon, or you can watch them embedded at damonbrown.net and learn more about my backstory as well. Amazing. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.